Are you going to be at Vanier this week or are you no. CFL? I'm, CFL uh, it? I'm yeah, I'm CFL, and I'm honestly not doing anything on Saturday. It's just that I don't. Yeah, doing, I'm doing it's... so much CFL stuff. I'm like, I can't get to and from Quebec City on short <laughs> <No>. notice. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm already tired, man. I just I I wrote uh, Marlene asked me for for like my my rundown basically of the three weeks of the playoffs and all that. And I wrote every day, like a deliverable that I have for content or for CFP yeah. and all these different things. And like what, <clears throat> I'm, what I'm doing with Noah on those days. And then on August or sorry, on December 13th, I just wrote retirement uh, <laughs> at, at, at the bottom. It's like, oh uh, yeah, I think I'll just start collecting my pension at that point. It's, it hasn't even, this is the thing I can't believe. Wait, it hasn't even been a full CFL year. Yeah. Like we, we played five less weeks of football this year and I'm like, wow, that was a long season. Then I'm like, well, you better buckle up for next year then buddy. Cause next year's going to feel real long if this year feels long, but we had so much speculation at the start though. It just caused that extra stress. I thought, yeah, I guess, I guess, but anyways, uh, let's just start the podcast like this. We'll just roll it in organically. <laughs> Why not? Uh, hi everybody. It's Marshall Ferguson and it's Wade Zanketa here from Canadian football perspective. And we're doing a random little podcast here on the UTEC Bowl in 2021 because we just wanted to get together and talk about it because uh, Wade is such a go-getter that he decided to uh, make the trip up to Montreal, go into hostile territory. I was actually talking to uh, Laurence Point Brown, who works at the Canadian Football League today, and she is a Caravan alumni, and she said she left at the end of the third quarter because she was frozen. And I'm like, Wade isn't even an alumni. He didn't have a dog in this fight. And he went to Montreal and he stayed the whole damn game. So that was very, very cool that you went up there. And uh, and I love that you you went up and you got to enjoy it from the field side as well, which gives you a totally different perspective. Yeah, I mean, for me, like I, being able to watch all the Can West guys on film and being able to watch all the Quebec conference guys on film, I never get to see them in person, right? Like the only yeah. time I saw the Caribbean in person was at the Vanier Cup in 2019. But I had a one of my best friends played for Calgary. So I didn't care about the Caravan <laughs> or scout and film. I was there for completely different reasons. So being able to go and like see those guys in person, I, I had to take the chance. And I mean, it was either that or I take the six hour drive to London. And I mean, a matchup between number one and three, uh, I couldn't pass that up. Yeah. And that was my whole thing with this game going in that like I knew that we weren't on television right I knew we were on cbc.ca and cbc gem and, and all the online streams and whatnot I knew we were going to have technical difficulties because I got told by mm-hmm. our production staff going in that like we're picking up the tv off sport feed and anytime they're doing interviews or anytime that they're doing uh you know anything that's like super french specific like we're going to cover it with visuals of Montreal and we're just going to like <laughs> ask you to basically tap dance through it so I'm like you know, it's going to be clunky. We're calling it remotely from mm-hmm. uh, Media Pro and Mississauga. And I'm like, but this is kind of how I always feel. But this time of year, wait, is that it doesn't matter what the setup or the surrounding is. If it's playoff football, the game always wins. Like the mm-hmm. game at, at some point, the game always takes over and makes you forget about the cold, the conditions, the setup on the broadcast, the, whatever it might be. And, and when you get a matchup like this in the UTEC Bowl, you just know at some point that the game is going to take over. And, and it was a pretty decent game throughout. But I mean, when it really got down to crunch time, that was where I got the sense. And I'm not even there. You were on the ground. That it was like nothing else mattered. Like everybody was so tunnel vision locked in on every single play and every single snap. And there was so much great X's and O's and back and forth going on. 
that I just love the way that this game unfolded. Either team could have won. I don't give a damn. Yeah. It was just I that mean, I, I knew the quality of the athletes on the field and the, the caliber of the coaching staff. So I'm like, this is going to be a great game. Yeah. And like it, it builds up and it was kind of nice having the score so low because any play, like even kicking a rouge, you were like, oh, is that enough to win the game today? Yeah. Like you didn't know. And the fact that they were missing field goals, like that wind, I know you guys saw from the TV broadcast, all the missed field goals, like that wind was swirling. Like I'd be getting hit on the sidelines in my back. <laughs> and then the next second, the wind's hitting me in the face. And I'm like, I didn't move. Where's this wind coming from? But uh, it was wild. It was coming up the hill. So on either corner of the uh, stadium, it's open at that end. So the wind would literally like shoot in through both ends. Uh, but it made it so dramatic too, because like they line up for a kick and I'm like, Oh, I don't think this is going to go like the winds. The wind started swirling right as they, are getting set and he puts the tee down and go, oh, here's, here comes a miss. Like we got more drama incoming. It was such a beautiful shot that they had every time a kick went up to that end of the field where the field goal kicking was difficult because as it would go high up, there was like these evergreen trees that were covered in snow. And then behind them, you could see like the, the cityscape of Montreal. And I'm like, I've never been to Sepsum before, but it just looks like a beautiful setting to hang out and enjoy a football game at. And obviously I was kind of getting some like, Ivor wind vibes a little bit from having the stands that are basically hovering over the top of, of uh, the players and the benches underneath. And, and <laughs> there was also a kind of a funny shot. I mean, maybe a little bit cruel to call it funny, but where one of the Caravan players as the touchdown is scored that we'll get to in a little bit here with Adam Mackhart at the end of the game, five seconds left. And once that happens, he just turns from the bench and starts walking to the indoor, like underneath right yeah. next to his bench. And I'm like, if you're a coach, that's probably the downside of having warmth and safety uh, just like steps away where you're not stuck on the sidelines. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a cool facility and it, it was certainly a great host for the game. I, I'll tell you this about the win that I thought was really kind of funny. Every time that you call a game like I did this past week remotely, you really don't know what you're getting yourself into. And I trusted because I know the people that were in the production truck and, and working this game on our end that they would, they, they would make it work and they would figure it out. And eventually they did because we had some transmission problems. Yeah. We had audio issues and all that kind of stuff. But again, I was like, I don't care. This game's going to be great. I'm having fun. Deshaun Stevens that I worked with was awesome. But the highlight of the entire day for me, if, if you are somebody who cares about Montreal football, then Mo Khan is your guy, okay? So Mo Khan... I've, I got to know him because he does McGill play-by-play and he's involved, like he's around at Concordia and, yeah. and he's at Alouette's games working for TSN as a spotter and a stats guy and all this stuff. So like, I always see Mo, he always comes up to me, like tall, energetic, fun-loving guy in his bow tie at Montreal games, shakes my hand, Mr. Marshall Ferguson. Oh, so good to see you. So good to see you. And like, he's always so hyped and I just, his, in, his personality is infectious. And Mo was our spotter for this game. And when you're working remotely, your spotter's kind of important, but at the same yeah. time, it's like, well, I don't know how the, how the logistics of this are going to work that you and I can actually like communicate with each other. And, and so right before we go on air, and again, this is just like the craziness of broadcasting producer, Mike Brannigan, who's fantastic says to me, um, you're going to have a knob on your board in front of you, you know, next to your talk back and your cough button and your whatever he says, you're going to have a knob that's going to be labeled spotter. And he said, Mo is just going to be talking to the abyss the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he was like, Mo's just going to be talking to the abyss the entire game. And if you don't want to listen to him, you don't have to. You can keep that knob down the whole time. But if you want information from him, 
you just turn that up and he'll kind of be filling you in on details like behind the scenes yeah. and what's happening and at field level and all these kind of things. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. So I, I didn't think anything of it. Started the game out, just calling it normally without the spotter stuff. And then I realized at one of the first commercial breaks, I'm like, I feel bad, man. I'm like, Mo's down there just like sitting in the press box, just like, and I, it was awesome. so, it was so, yeah, just talking to himself. It was so funny, Wade, because I would turn it up and I would just like at random moments, it was like listening into somebody's personal thoughts <laughs> where I would, I would turn it up and it would just be Mo going wind right to left wind right to left it looks like it's whipping it about oh, actually you know what guys there's a couple of snowflakes that are starting to come down here and 88 and 82 are in the game 88 82 66 has checked out um that's going to be 88 82 in and it looks like number one is getting worked on on the trainer's table it was just an endless encyclopedia of like just through his eyes into a microphone in montreal into my headset in mississauga and I was using a bunch of the information to get things out, but it was just so funny because it was so strange to be doing that. And then post game, he was trying to set the scene for us of the championship celebration. Yeah. And, and it was so good because I'm like, I, I'm just giggling at the fact that he's, he's still trying to be our eyes when the game is done. So Mo's like, uh, they're on the field. They're on the field. Uh, the parents look like they're exceptionally happy. Uh, <laughs> just like, cause I can't see these things. And I turn, I turn the knob down for a second, just like fade it out and I bring it back up. And as I do, he's just like, the trophy is entering the field. Here it comes guys. The trophies. I'm like, this is, I, it was comedy. It was honestly so great, but he helped too. Like it was a huge help yeah. to try and put us there. Cause calling games remotely, um, is tough. And I hope that it felt like we actually were relatively on location, but, um, let's get into some of the actual non-self-indulgent broadcast, uh, parts of this game uh what you mentioned right before we came on uh ethan mcconzo jumped out to you yeah and, and you wanted to, to say your piece on him here so i'm interested to see what you have to say because just from watching the game as i was broadcasting it i i developed a bit of a take on him too so go ahead so when you watch him on film like last year entering the draft like you see this guy and you're like oh wow like he's got good size he's got good speed like just kind of finds his way to the ball a lot uh, but when you're watching him in person, like the range, it's kind of like, okay, you tie cats, uh, Stavros. I was going to say the exact same, same thing. Stavros with like five inches. That's it. <laughs> like same range, same ball skills, same aggressiveness towards like he cleaned Sam Baker like three times in that game. Every time Sam Baker had to like take a pause and was like, Oh my God. The ref would be like, are you good? And he'd be like, yeah, well, he had to get taken but, off the field twice in critical situations, which made him out yeah. for three three plays because he was injured and the trainers had to come out. And that was because McConzo was just so physical. Yeah. And I asked like uh, Mason Nice about it posting. I'm like, what do you have to say about Sam Baker? Like he got clocked and he still held, held on to the ball every time. And Mason was like, I, I don't know how he did it. Like I, <laughs> I am lost for words on that guy, but Ethan McConzo flew and like, his speed compared to what I saw in film, you just take like that step up and like in-person scouting is so nice because you get to oh, see yeah. that stuff live, right? Like on film, you can kind of hide it and fade it. And like without the combine and the live reps, you miss that. But it was so nice to be able to see him go against a guy like Sam Baker, who was drafted and have that kind of impact in the game. Like I, I watched uh, the broadcast over the next day and like that first play where he kind of like fumbled it, I don't think Sam Baker caught it because McConto hit him so damn hard yeah. that like he coughed that ball up before he even got to the ground. And Baker's a big body too. Like I, I don't, yeah. think, I don't think people realize 
necessarily when you see on a field standing next to that monster offensive line, the huddle, it's like Baker's a really big body, man. And and for him to get like kind six, of five. Yeah. For him to get bodied like that just shows how hard hitting Makonza was when he came downhill. My, my take honestly, and it's probably recency bias because I, I just saw Stavros play yesterday <laughs> as we're recording this on a Monday night, but I, when I saw him, yeah, it was the same ranginess like you're talking about. It was the same making plays on the ball and being just being present around so many different plays, like inside run, outside run, toss to the sideline. He would get there. Quick yeah. screen game, he would get there. He'd get out to the sideline on fade balls for a lot of things, not everything, but a lot of stuff. <laughs> and um, and I was just – I was so interested in his ability to be ever-present. But I, he also – and this was like my, you know, let's pump the brakes on him for a second yeah. type, is that – because of a film like he just put down in the UTEC, he's going to absolutely get fallen in love with head over heels for special team stuff. Well, yeah, like, like I said to yeah. Connor, we recorded all Canadian this yeah. morning. Uh, and I said, like, Ethan McConzo is going to stick next year with the Owls. Like, they yes. picked him up, they sent him back, and next year, Machocha's going to be like, all right, your time, let's go. And Mark Antoine Ducroix just got a bunch of reps on special teams for the Alouettes in this playoff game against the Ticats, too. So you can yeah. see, like, the, the culture and the structure taking place of, like, long, freaky, athletic, caravan guys that Machocha knows that he's going to, he's absolutely going to use as the basis of his special teams unit and his Canadian depth going forward. So I'm with you on that, but it's like, he's going to be amazing on specials because he plays in a way where he just doesn't seem to care about his body or anybody else's well-being. But for that yeah. same for that same reason, he needs a ton of refinement before mm-hmm. he's going to get any looks on defense. And I I yeah. don't. And that's a quarterback talking, right? And there's a lot of defensive people that will be like, "Shut up, man! He's tough. He's fast. Whatever." But like for me, longevity. He was, oh, and longevity. But also, he was right on the line in some of these hits where he's coming downhill. Where I'm like, if I'm looking at that for supplementary discipline, the way the CFL does. I'm like, ooh, man, he's he's very close to like using the crown of his hel- helmet when he's going yeah. in on tackles and like taking shots on defenseless receivers. And like he plays on that line and it, and it was clean, but it was just like, man, he he's dancing that line already. And um, I'll, I'll be really interested to see how he adjusts to the CFL life because people will not accept him taking some of those liberties. With that being said, that's the best way to make a CFL team. And he's absolutely going to with Montreal. Yeah, uh, let's move. Uh, I want to talk a bit about the offensive line yeah. play on on Saskatchewan side. Uh, we'll get to Montreal's kind of run game in a bit because it was it was interesting to me. Yeah. I had a good comparison for well, Bolia that I let, kind of thought about. Let's let's talk Montreal first because I think Saskatchewan is the real conversation on this. But Montreal, their their running attack to me was uh, spotty. I guess is the way that I would call it. Like, and I don't want to say inconsistent, but at times they looked incredibly dominant. Like they can hmm. throw, throw, and I mean, up front, you got Riley Pickett at 6'4, 250. Uh, you got Leggett Nate at 6'2, six, six, 300. Yeah, Cherry 6'3, 245. Bell 6'3, 275. Like they got, they got bodies up front, man. The Saskatchewan is going to be able to compete with Western's running game in the Vanier Cup. Mm-hmm. But when I saw like late in the game when Montreal really needed it, to pound the rock and it was predictable. They were going to run it, keep it on the ground and try and play it safe and play it smart and force Saskatchewan's offense to beat them and all the rest. It was like, they should be able to churn this out. And then they weren't. And that was, that was kind of uh, confusing to me based on how some of the early parts look, but what did you think that bowl you reminded you of? I said this to Connor, his running style and maybe it's because he's so big, but like Derek Henry early in his NFL career, mm-hmm. when he'd be super patient and like, he would get to the line and kind of like skate 
horizontally down the line of scrimmage until he found like a crease and then he would try to take off and it worked for some parts in the game because you would move and Pickett or cherry would try and get off their block and it would create that seam and that's where you started to see the six seven yard carries but late in the game like you're talking about they had to churn out these runs that's where it really killed him because he's such a big body if he just hit the hole and just gassed it straight ahead like he three four yards in a cloud of dust three, four yards in a cloud of dust, and they would have kept picking up these chunk yardage, but he was skating, skating, and then Nick Weeb and all the other defensive linemen that you just mentioned, like they would fill in those gaps, and it really killed them at the end. Well, and that's the thing, too, is when Saskatchewan's running this base 30 front, is like they're they're doing that because they have more talented linebackers than they have talented defensive linemen, (laughs) and they've got a good defensive line, but they're just rolling through all of these bodies at linebacker, and they're all scraping, and they're all making plays, and they're all Mm -hmm. shooting gaps, and I know this because we played in 2012 against Calgary, uh, Mm -hmm. and they played a 30 front, but their 30 front was, I forget who the nose was, but the ends were Michael Claussen and Lyndon Gadosh. Um, opposite each other for the Calgary Dinos. And I remember us on film just being like, the hell is this? Or like, <laughs> like, how do we run against the 30 front? Like, how do we get to the second level? Because we never played against yeah. the 30 front all year long. And it's it's so unique to Can West. I find like so many OUA schools, they'll play a 40 or yeah. they'll play like a true three, four. Whereas like Can West, they'll literally just play like three down linemen and all the linebackers are back and take your pick at which one's adding into the bunch, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I, I do wonder what impact that might have had on Montreal. And to be honest, I haven't watched all Montreal's games this year and I don't know the, the defensive strategy of all teams in the RCQ. They might have played against some 30, but this yeah. is a this is a really high caliber 30 front. And one one play that I don't remember exactly what it was. It was some point in the first half they lined up and made it look like they were going to blitz. And it looked like it was going to be like a, an a gap shotgun blitz, like double middle linebackers in this mm-hmm. 30 front. And they almost lined up in like this tight front. And then they bailed out of it back into zones. But when they did, they crossed. So it was like yeah. the, no- the noses in the middle, they lined up two middle backers on either side and the snap came up and they didn't just drop out into like hook zones. They crossed and like ran to flats on the opposite side. I was like, that is art. Like yeah. that, that just looks and like amazing. even the timing of that, right? Like you got to think how many reps do they take? Like even in just indie practices where you have yeah. a guy set up in the middle and you're practicing like, okay, it's like receivers running pick plays, right? Like you have to time it so much with like, oh, I'm going to hit the slant. You're going to hit the uh, arrow right of the out. And we got to time it up. So it's bang, bang. Like I'm going over. You're coming right off my backside. It's it's defensive <laughs> pick yeah, plays. It, like and when I this is the thing too. I sat up high for the Ty Cats Alouettes game, and the reason I did that is because I I've always enjoyed watching yeah. football football from super high because as the routes unfold, I can actually see what they look like on the piece of paper. Where it's like, see, oh, I like sitting end zone for that same right. reason. <laughs> but it's like, so I can I can see like a fl- like they'll you know the snap comes up and it's three by two, and I'll watch the routes and I'll go, oh, yeah. they ran they ran a flood concept. And it's like, I, it's because I can actually see, it's almost like they, they have trails that follow them when they run the route. And I'm like, oh, that's what that was. It was a scissors concept or something. Yeah. And and so it's kind of cool to to see what Montreal's defense must look like, you know, reverse engineered from on field into what it must look like in a playbook because it's pretty diverse, which is why I really do think they have a chance to to give some frustration, I think, to the Western Mustangs in the Vanier Cup this week. Uh, my, my one thing would be with Bolu just before we go to the Saskatchewan O-line is if he had the downhill one-cut decision-making of Wanati, 
from yeah. Western from Western, that would be the game breaker for him. Like I don't think that I don't think he has that in his skill set. It's as just a, his, it's just his style, right? Like yeah, he's probably grown up being this bigger guy who like you just need to bounce off one tackle and then you have a bunch of DBs that just start falling off you as you go. So he's so talented though. And I, if I were a coach, if I were a coach of Bolu, I would be just like, man, we need to learn some burst and we need to learn some urgency. And if he does run that track, yeah, if, run he, track. if he's going to do that, he's going to be scary, scary good. But um, this Saskatchewan offensive line, when I was working with Deshaun Stevens <laughs> before the game, uh, he says to me, I think that the Huskies offensive line is bigger than the Rough Riders offensive line. And yes. we and we looked at the, across the board, and it's fifteen hundred pounds of man uh, spread across the five spots. So you've got Noah Zare, uh, six seven three thirty as a fourth year. They've got Bobian, who's a first year at six three two eighty five yep. at the left guard. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to say this name during the game because I would have botched it. Olab Imtan, I believe, uh, fifty six. Where is he here on my board? Yambo Olabimtan. Uh, he's six, the smallest of the group, six one two eighty five. That's normal for your center. And then it's Connor <laughs> Connor Bergloff, twenty fourth overall drafted yeah. by the Red Blacks at six three three hundred at the right guard. And then uh, Nicholas Summick uh, is the right tackle, six yeah, eight. Yeah, six eight three thirty five fifth year. Like okay, dra- so, drafted by Edmonton in 2020. And so go back and tell me the height for Zer again. Uh, so Zer is six seven, and uh, okay, Sumik no, is six you gotta, eight. You got to scratch both of those out and put seven foot plus <laughs> next time you do a SAS game. I'm not kidding. I went onto the field for the celebration stuff, and uh, when the team like started like surround for the trophy, like they had to come around the media. So I'm standing there, and I'm like right, like me to my laptop away from the trophy. And all of a sudden, this like shadow just like casts over me, and I, I literally take my eye off my camera. I'm not even at like I stand six three. I'm not even at Zer's shoulder pads. Like I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you take the trophy. I'm just gonna back away. <laughs> like it, he's massive. Like you see these guys on paper, and you see them on tape. Like same with Ethan McConto, but like a different scenario. Like yeah. you look at their size compared to defensive linemen, you're like, oh wow, like they tower over them. And then you get to the game, and you're like. How does Mason Nias see over this offensive line? Because there is no way that he can see anything through those guys. No, yeah, I totally. It's it's crazy the size that they carry <laughs> across the board. And the thing that I thought was was um, kind of amazing is that when they decided to run the rock, and I saw that uh, Persevere had the stat that Adam Mackhart had fifty two percent of the offensive touches yeah. um, for Saskatchewan in this game. But when they decided to run it, it was almost exclusively off tackle to the right. Yeah, the, you know how many times they pin and pulled with uh, yeah. Zer and Sumok? Like, to me, that's the impressive part. Like, these guys are that size. And Zer, like, his body comp, Marshall, like, I said to my parents when I got home, like, you see, like, six, seven, three fifty. 350. You expect that they're going to have, like, a gut or they're going to have, like, yeah. something that's just oversized. His body composition looks like a through-and-through through professional left tackle, like, where he's just cut. And he moves and he flows and he can pull like that without even getting, I mean, like, Scott Flory's professional coaching, but without getting official CFL offensive line coaching, like that to me is the amazing part about this Huskies offensive line. And I mean, with Mackert sitting behind them at like what, five, six, yeah, he he literally just hid behind his offensive linemen until they picked a a way to turn it open. And then he'd cut off of that. And it's like, Oh, there he is. I didn't know he was right behind them. Like, do you think impressive? And again, this is a bit of an unfair question, but like after watching that performance and when you're calling a game, you're not scouting. So it's tough, but you were at yeah. field level and I'm sure you locked in on some of the big bodies up front for Saskatchewan. Is he, 
he's like a first round ish talent, is he not? Yes. No. So, yeah. No. He is. He's in the scouting bureau's top twenty, I believe. Yeah. Um, but I'm just I'm I'm imagining like no, at, he, at he that is. size, that body composition, those movement skills. Like if he if his tape is refined enough, as I think it is, if I really go and watch him closely, yeah. like he's got to be a top fifteen lock. Um, if he plays well against Deontay Knight this weekend, like Ooh. in Pro, because I know I know he's gonna do well. In the, like their run game, just the way they scheme it up, they're gonna have success against them. Like he'll have doubles and they'll chip up to linebackers. But if he does well in pass pro against Deontay Knight, uh, I think the top Canadian tackles is gonna come down to him. And Kazushka from Alberta, but Kazushka's played the, uh, like he's just so athletic, right? Right. Uh, but Zerdis has that extra size on him. That's I, I such think. a such a fun matchup, though, man. Like to get it to is, watch. And even if they bounce, like if you end up getting Deontay Knight going to the other side, you're going up against two CFL drafted guys, or do you yeah. want to send him to your left tackle, who's going to be CFL drafted top ten? It's like this Saskatchewan, and this is why I I say that. People that watch Western beat up St. FX, which like hey, shout out to Gary Waterman, the X-Men, like you did, but you could. Um, but people who who watch Western beat up on X, like you gotta realize this is a legendary offensive line that yeah. is and it that starts is, with Coach Floyd, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. Is like the it's, lure it's, of playing for an all-time Canadian offensive lineman, like you just rake in the top talent because you say, like, look, I know how to develop you. Yeah, and you like you get the body types, and then you show them the pipeline that he's creating, and he's same just with, same with Chris Morris, right? Like yeah, it's how Alberta and Saskatchewan just get these factories with six six tackles. <laughs> I I can't wait to watch this game, man. Like the Vanier is just it's going to be stupid. It really is because of the the caliber of players that are out there. We haven't even talked about like Mackhart or Klassen or Nios or Baker or like Saskatchewan has got a very real chance to take down Western in this. I, I think game. so. In this game, and like I'm honestly, I'm leaning on. It's not going to make Greg Dick from the CFL very happy, who's uh, the director of football ops, yes. all the rest, because he's a <laughs> a staunch Western Mustang man from his playing days. That went to my high school back in Kingston at Frontenac, but um, yeah, I oh, big shout out by the way, Frontenac Secondary School, hey. another officer banner today. Coach Doyle, Coach McGee, and the crew. Yeah, uh, big shout out to them. I it made me very nostalgic. I saw the photo of them beating, beating thirty-seven to seven. Our, our high Over school Holy ends Cross. up ends up. But was it Centennial? I think. Yes, uh, the, they beat the, Centennial yeah. in today. In yeah, and and yeah. So, so I saw the picture of their offsa. You know, everybody with the thumbs yeah. up, and I was like, "Man, I was in that picture sixteen years ago." <laughs> I was like, "How is that 16? It's it's like around that like sixteen, fourteen, fifteen, somewhere in there years ago, and I'm just like, "That's amazing to see." Those dudes are still grinding it out and winning championships and uh, and and teaching life lessons along the way too. Because I still talk to mm. them and they're still just like great, great people to be able to kind of reconnect with. So, yeah, that was very cool to be able to see. But it is championship season, and uh, so they get theirs, and then Saskatchewan against Western coming up in the Vanier on Saturday. It's uh, it's going to be a blast. I know. What are you going to be doing for the uh, for the Vanier Cup? Are you going to be watching from home? I'm tempted to make the five-hour drive to Quebec City. Uh, I'm very tempted, but I, I don't know. If uh, I was I'm east of see. Toronto, I might uh, I might dip my toes in those waters as well and make the I know. ride up. But it's it's, uh, uh, it's... it's tempting. I just uh, <laughs> I'm not sure like what what it's going to look like at the end of the week for me. So I'm going to wait and see. Yeah, good call. Well, wherever we end up watching, uh, we'll have you covered here on Canadian Football Perspective because we're going to be tweeting along and watching the game closely wherever we all are. And uh, and I know that it's going to be a great one. So we hope that you all enjoy. Wade, thanks for doing this, buddy. On short notice, this was fun just to talk about uh, bounce around how ridiculous this game was and 
Yeah, I, I, I feel very lucky I was able to call it even if it was remotely because it felt like I was there, which... I, you get to be a part of it, right? That, like, yeah, it's such a that, great national semifinal. Yeah, and it doesn't always feel like you're there if the game is garbage. It just feels like I saw Mark Lee after he called the Western game and I was like, close one, eh, boys? And he was like, ugh. Like, he was just <laughs> put his head down and just walked into the booth. I was like, I'm going to go call an actual good game now. So I'll talk to you guys later. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be a lot of fun coming up on Saturday. Stay locked to CFP at CF Perspective on Twitter and Instagram is where you can find us. All Canadian coming out for you, myself and Derek Taylor, breaking down the Eastern final and the Western final in the CFL and much, much more for you. For now, have yourselves a great morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Have fun. We'll talk to you soon.